Well, I'm an old guy, but I'm excited about D6 for all of you who are still in that uh, process of, um, of uh, bringing up your children. Though I know, like my dad said when he was 80, you never stop being a parent. So, uh, but, you know, it's especially, though, when you're in those, those times, those period of time when your kids are grown up, there's nothing like being able to have the opportunity, which D6 is going to give us, to be able to be instructed from God's word and how to be the best possible parent we can be. Uh, and, then, and then to think of uh, the opportunities give us to be able to, you know, share in this together and, and learn from each other, you know, what works and what doesn't work. You know, you might be in a week that's a big challenge and you can know, man, I've got Wednesday night, I can come and I can talk to somebody about it and uh, get some perspective and, and some help. So that's going to be there. And then also we're going to be giving you tools uh, that you can use to teach your children spiritual truth. Because it's not just what we're going to be doing here at the building. It's what we're going to help you to do at home with your kids. And uh, that, that is every bit as important. It's probably the most, and is really the most important part of it all. It's what you do as a parent. And that's why we're doing it. And, uh, and then, uh, as you've heard us say, we're going to finish up the evening uh, being, you know, uh, with our children by our side and having a great time of worship and then learning one truth to take home for that week. So um, looking forward to it. And I love the countdown clock that's in the hallway. I was thinking, you know, this last week, we should, have, we should start that out every year, you know, just for, see how many days are left in the year. That'd be kind of cool, you know. Anyway, just an idea. Uh, well, hey, it was, um, it was so good sitting in the audience last Sunday listening to Jeff preach. I uh, planned this series in the Gospel of John, and so I gave Jeff the scripture and, and what to focus on, and I got to tell you, he absolutely nailed it, and um, he always does, and I'm, I'm but really nailed it last Sunday, and I'm so thankful for that, and I, I was taking notes along with, uh, you know, others of you who do that, and uh, Jeff made several statements that I just thought were key statements I didn't want to forget. And so I was just writing fast and furious and actually ended up writing on the side and all the way around and uh, really, really good stuff that he shared. And the, what I want to bring back to you this morning, though, and it's really going to stay with us the whole series, is what Jeff's main point was last Sunday. It was this statement. He said, when you truly embrace who Jesus is, you, you follow him wholeheartedly. And truly, we can, we can take this statement every week. We, we're in the Gospel of John as we do this series. And each Sunday, we're going to see another dimension of who Jesus is. And the, the more complete our picture, the more clearly you and I are going to see that the only response that makes any sense is for us to, to do that, to follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. I th I, I'm convinced we're going to find ourselves saying, you know, there's every reason to go all out for him. I mean, he's, he's absolutely amazing. He's phenomenal. He's God. He's God. Now, connected to this, one of the reasons I'm convinced that the time that we're going to spend in John's gospel is going to be worth every Sunday that we do this is what I've realized uh, over many years of ministry and through multiple, multiple conversations with people, in fact, as, as recent as this last, last week with a couple in our church, and I, I, I've discovered 
that there's several misconceptions that people have with God. And I'd say they're significant misconceptions because they, they have a huge impact on, on, on a person's relationship with God. And I, I would even say a huge impact on how that person sees themselves. And I would even say they are, they are misconceptions that if we've got them, we'll Will, will very likely stop us from wanting to follow Jesus Christ, especially wanting to follow him with our whole heart, where we give ourselves fully to him. And I believe this is definitely true when it comes to understanding the depth of, depth of God's love for each one of us, how much God really loves us. I've seen it. I've seen it over and over again where not understanding God's love and, and very often even having a picture of God as someone who's reluctant to love us or a God who would very quickly stop loving us or, or a God whose love has to be earned by how well we perform, by what we do and, and don't do. And, and, and when we have those kinds of, of ideas about God... I, what it does is it, it causes us to, to do one of, you know, a number of several di different things. One is to have an unhealthy fear of God, where you live with this sense that God's out to get you, that maybe there was something you did in the past and God's going to get you for it eventually, that, that kind of thinking. Or, or to have anxiety about the future where you wonder to yourself, you know, I wonder if God's going to really keep on caring for me. I mean, everything's okay right now, but I wonder, I wonder about the future. Well, is God going to care for me? Or guilt. To have this unhealthy guilt where you think to yourself, well, I'm, I'm, I'm never good enough for God to love me. And one of the things that's really connected to that is legalism. You know, you get into this legalistic kind of doing kind of a relationship with God. Or, or the other thing is to live with insecurity that comes from always wondering, does God still love me? Or has God's, you know, has God stopped loving me? Yeah, just a very insecure place to be. I, I thought about this, this one after... For service and conversation with somebody, it's also possible that we can get so down on ourselves that, you know, um, whatever word you want to use for it, it's sadness, depression, uh, that, that our whole perspective of everything gets so twisted, and especially our perspective of God. And, and, and in our downness and our sadness, it's, it's, you, you, you wonder how God could love your, you. I don't know if anybody's ever been there. Maybe you're there today. And then there's the thing of anger. Something very hard comes into your life, a huge disappointment. It might be a physical illness or the loss of a job. I, you know, I think you understand. It could be any number of things where you, you, wonder, you, you, become, you become angry toward God and you, you, you wonder to yourself, how could God possibly love me and, and, and allow something like that to come into my life, and you wonder, you know, I, I think God maybe did this to me because God doesn't love me, you know? As much as um, Becky and I are confident of God's love for us, I got to tell you, we had to wrestle through this one <laughs> all over again with the death of our, of our son, Greg. You go through something like that, and, 
And um, you, do, you, you, you do ask yourself the question, does, you know, where, where is the love of God in, in all of this? And it's so easy to not only doubt God's love, but to get down on yourself, to, to doubt yourself. And so for all of those misconceptions, those ideas, we, we can't possibly overestimate the value of what we're going to talk about this morning. And I, I believe it all comes down to one word, the word trust. That's our word for today. That's the word you want to write down. Trust. Trusting God because we understand the, the immense and, and, and deep love that God has for each one of us. In fact, it triggered in my mind uh, Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus when he, he said this, I, I pray that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and then, he, and then he writes, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And what he meant by that last statement is going to, he said, he's really saying it's going to take all of eternity for us to understand how much God really, really loves us. So we're going to go back to the beginning of John's gospel where he makes one of the most stupendous, stupendous statements about Jesus that could ever be made about any person. And it provides the, the second answer to the question that we're asking in this series, the question, who is Jesus Christ? And, and, it, and it not only gives us every reason to follow him, it, it gives us confidence and courage and hope for anything, for anything and everything that comes our way in life. It gives us every reason to trust God completely, 100% all the time, all the time. The answer to the question that John gives us is that Jesus is the creator of the universe. He's the creator. But even more than this, okay? And this is, this is why I, 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 went, I don't know if you read the email I, I sent, sent out this last week. It's like Sunday couldn't come fast enough, okay? And it's this. Jesus Christ is not only our creator. He's our loving creator. He's our loving creator. And I mean, write that down. It's... It, it's, it makes all the difference. And, 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 and there's three very wonderful things that John tells us about Jesus in this passage. It shows us why this is true. First of all, the eternal love of the Father and Son. Second, the incarnation, Jesus, the creator becoming part of the world he created. And then third, the response of the creator, the response of Jesus to the rejection of the world, the rejection of the creation that he made. Okay. First of all, the eternal love of the Father in the Son. Look at John chapter 1, verse 1. We read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Remember, the Word is Jesus. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. I just never get over that statement. Through him, all things were made. All things. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. I, I learned those verses as a little kid. I think they're some of the earliest verses I learned in smart church that did that, that I, I grew up in. Th this includes everything that exists in the universe. Everything, no exceptions. Jesus Christ made it all. I I'd say that's a, a phenomenal claim to make. I, I love the way the apostle, uh, or, or Paul said it in, in his letter to the church in Colossians. In Colossians, in the first chapter, he said, for by him all things were created. 
Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, what you can see and what we can't see. In fact, I, you know, I, I, I thought about this, you know, I, there's more that we can't see than what we see. So just imagine, you know, when we're going to be able to see it all, how amazing it's going to be. Okay, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and then he writes, and for him. <laughs> Got to keep that in mind. For him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I thought about this morning. Talk about a father and son project, you know, creating the universe. I mean, I bet they had an absolute blast doing it. I just, you know, I think of like, I mean, for example, think of when they, when they made dogs. The thing I love about a dog is it can't stop wagging its tail. You know, God did that, you know. Let's, have, let's create this, this animal that, you know, cats don't do that, I don't think, right? They can, they, they do something else with their tails. But I have a bias against cats, but anyway. Um, I don't want to show that, I know. Okay, now, so, so really, this is a phenomenal claim, isn't it? Jesus is the creator of the universe, but you know what? Not only are we shown this, we're also shown that the God who created this universe existed in an eternal relationship of the most perfect love imaginable. Which explains why, in fact, it's the only explanation, really, why it's possible for you and I to love one another. Love would not exist between people if we didn't have a, a creator who was filled with love. John shows us this through one word, one very significant word, the word with. Did you notice that? He said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The son was with the father. The father was with the son. John gives us a, a, a better understanding of what this means in verse 18, and, uh, and I'm going I'm to read it to you out of the uh, English Standard Version. Uh, and, and I'm going to uh, emphasize one part of it, okay? This is what John wrote. No one has ever seen God. The only God, and the only God there is Jesus Christ, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. Now, your translation may not have that little phrase, in the bosom of the Father, but that's actually more literal to the Greek. It's more accurate to the Greek. So let's think about this, all right? What's John saying? So let me ask you this question. How many people are there in your life who have a right to your bosom? Eh? Think about that one. Or let me put it this way, okay? If you're lying on a couch or on a rug in your family room, how many people could come up and without saying a word, without asking permission, could just walk up and lay down beside you and lay up against your bosom, your breast, your chest? Ever thought about that? How many people are there in your life who could do this? It's a very small number, right? I hope so, okay? <laughs> All right, just checking. Now, there was a time when our children would have done it, but I'm going to tell you right now, if Greg was still living, he would not come and do that with me, all right? And I'm not so sure Nikki would. I, I maybe should ask her that, you know? So right now, it's only Becky. I mean, my best friends don't even have a right to come up and lay their head against my chest, 
All right, just remember that. All right. If, okay. All right. Just want to make that very clear. Okay. Now, here's my point. It's easy to see that the posture of being in someone's bosom means pers a personal relationship of the closest possible intimacy. It's a, it's a centrality in someone's life. Now, keep this in mind. God the Father doesn't have a physical body, so John's not talking here about a literal intimacy. What he's talking about is, is a, 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 a spiritual intimacy. He's talking about a, a loving relationship at the deepest and the most meaningful level possible. So here we have two perfectly holy persons, the Father and the Son, with mutually exhaustive knowledge of one another, they know everything there is to know about the other person, and they love one another completely. Completely. Think of the times in your life when you felt the most understood and the most loved. And multiply it by a billion. And maybe, maybe, you begin to get a dim hint of what we're talking about here. The, the joy that came with this must have been unbelievable. What we have here is an insight that staggers the intelligence because John is talking about what the nature of God was before creation. We could say that, that it's an insight into the private life of God. The private life of God. Remember the... the uh, TV show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I think it was Robin Leach who uh, gave a behind-the-scene look at how the rich and the famous lived. For those of you in a younger generation, uh, there's a more modern-day version. Uh, I don't think it's on TV anymore. It was called Cribs. Anybody know? Now, I, you know what? I was going to just be real cool and act like I knew that, but actually Rob told me, all right? got to... <laughs> Confess that. Never saw the show. It had no, I thought he was talking about baby cribs when he said that. So, but, but what John does in these two verses is give us a behind-the-scenes look that, that ends all behind-the-scenes looks. He's telling us what the Father and the Son, and, and we can assume the Holy Spirit, what God in his private life is like behind the scene before the world began, and it's absolutely astonishing. It's so astonishing that I think the best way to understand what it tells us would be to imagine spending all of your life living at the foot of a, of a mountain. And some, one day someone comes up to you and says, let's go to the top. And so you go to the top, you know. And you go to the top of that mountain and you look down. You look down at the terrain, at, at, at land that you've seen all of your life. And, and it's like seeing it for the first time. There, there's all kinds of features in the landscape that you never understood before. You're given a whole different perspective of reality from, from the top of the mountain. The truth John gives us about the eternal relationship between the Father and the Son is like going to the top of a mountain, and I, I would quickly add an infinitely high mountain, 
And looking down and seeing this world in your entire life, you see creation this way, you see the world this way, you see life this way, and it changes everything. You, you come away knowing that the world we live in was created by a God who lived eternally in a relationship of perfect love. Wow. It explains why we can trust God completely. A hundred percent all of the time. It, it shows us that God's not out to get you or me ever. God is more for us than we're for ourselves. And it shows us that God's going to care for you no matter what life brings your way. And it, and, and it shows us that God's love isn't based on how good we are. God's love is based on how good God is. And because of God's love, what Romans 8.28 says is always true. Where Paul writes, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And the good there is that you and I can become more and more like Jesus Christ. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. It's an overwhelmingly wonderful thing, really, to know this. You know, it's one thing to know that God created the universe. It's far more wonderful to know that this world was by, created by a God who at the core of his being is filled with absolute perfect love. <laughs> Puts everything in perspective. It explains why there's so much love in this world. It explains why there's so much beauty and majesty and wonder and everything that God created. It's, it's all an expression of God's love for you and me. And it explains why there's so much love in people. You and I, we're created to experience the incredible joy that comes with God's love and, and to share this joy with others. You see, I'm convinced, everybody, I'm convinced that every part of creation has God's love written all over it. All over it. Thank <laughs> you. 
You know, it's like after first service, I was talking with one of our young moms, and, and she said that her little boy wrote in his notes at school, Jesus rocks. Isn't that true? I mean, you look at that, and you just, man, I just want to get on my knees, you know, and just start worshiping and thanking him for loving me so much to be able to experience something like that. Now, to realize it's just beginning. You know, it's just beginning. Just beginning. But you know what? It gets even better. Because what we realize is the next thing that, that Jesus Christ did. The creator became part of creation. Incarnation. John wrote this in verse 14. He said, the word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us and We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I honestly don't know what's more amazing, Jesus creating the universe or becoming one with us in our humanity. I think I lean toward the latter. The idea of the eternal, infinite God putting himself within the limitation of time and a physical body, for me, that's more than I can comprehend, and I think it's God's love at its best. Fortunately, Scripture shows us why he did this. It's all love. Everything about it is love. First of all, he did it to reveal God to us. Notice that statement again in verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Takes us back to what we saw two weeks ago when we looked at the first answer to the question that we're asking in this series, the question, who's Jesus Christ? And the answer is he's the word, he, which means, among other things, that he's the clearest revelation of who God is. Back in, the only other church that Beck and I had our five years in the church in Wisconsin before we came here, there was a gentleman from Peru who, who attended. He, he was a, a, a Spanish teacher in high school. His name was Lucho Sutsenaga, and Lucho always had his Spanish Bible with him. And I can't tell you how many times he came up to me after I had preached, and he said, because we had this debate going, which was better, English or Spanish? And he'd say, see, 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 here, this show Spanish is better. And after I did a sermon on verse 14, he came up to me and he said, yep, yep. I proved it, I'm right again, because in Spanish, it's not translated as word, it's translated as verb, verb, it's an action word. Jesus Christ, by the life he lived, and Jesus Christ in action, showed us the character of God, that God is full of love, God's full of grace, and God's full of truth. And you read through the Gospels, and you see that over and over again. How he responded to people it was with love, it was with grace, and he was always speaking the truth. Second, became one with us to fully understand what life is like for us, which has got love written all over it. There, there's two statements in the book of Hebrews in chapter 2, verse 17, this statement, for this reason he had to be made like his brothers, that's you and, you and me, his brothers and sisters in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And then in, in chapter 4, verse 15, he said, we do not have a high priest who is unable <clears throat> to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. I'll never forget, I'll never forget a conversation I had back in the late 80s, early 90s with 
one of the doctors who attends Brookside, and he still attends, he almost died from cancer. And um, he had all the, <clears throat> all the treatment that people normally have for that, chemo and radiation. And of course, back then in the, in the 80s and 90s, man, it was a lot harder on you than it is now. And he not only got sick from the cancer, he got sick from all the treatment he had. The side effects were terrible. I mean, it was, <clears throat> it was a really rough time in his life. But he survived, and he's still living. I mean, it's just absolutely wonderful. And he told me that he came out of it with a completely different understanding of what it's like, and in his own words, for the patient on the table. For the patient on the table. <clears throat> and he said that it would significantly change how he worked with patients, that from then on he would be far more empathetic far more sympathetic than he had ever been before. You know what, everybody? We might say that the God of the universe has been on the table. He's been on the table. Hunger, loneliness, grief, rejection, homelessness, betrayal, injustice, torture, temptation, disappointment, tears, I mean, all kinds, every part of what it means to be human. He's experienced it all. He understands, he sympathizes with us, which makes it possible for us to do what the writer of Hebrews encourages us to do. He said, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Love is all over this. And third, he became part of our world to make himself vulnerable, to die. The writer of Hebrews said this in chapter, in chapter 2. He said, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their, their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that's the devil, and free those who, who were held all their lives in slavery by their fear of death. You see, you see everybody, only, only Christianity of all the religions in the world says that the divine creator of the world became human and therefore vulnerable, Jesus came down knowing it would cost his life. Which was the response of Jesus to the world that rejected him. And the through, third reason that it's true that Jesus is our loving creator. And John points to this rejection in verse 10 and 11. He said, he said, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. There's no better commentary. I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've heard this. I've probably said it a million times. There's no better commentary on Scripture than Scripture itself. And, and, and what you discover is that what the Apostle Paul wrote in the first chapter of, of Romans helps us understand what John meant when John said that the world did not recognize Jesus. Here's, here's, here's what Paul writes. Uh, Romans 1, verse 21. For although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather, rather than the creator who is forever praised. Wow. It's, it's kind of like this. Man shakes his fist at God and this same God opens up his hands in love and reaches out to us, becoming one with us to die for us and, bring, and to bring us to the God who created him, to bring us to himself, to Jesus. That's love, everybody. That's love. Imagine what it was like for the disciples to spend three years up close with the creator of the universe. Have you ever thought about that? What that was like to... Three years, you know, with the God who created them. You know, not only, you know, the God who not only created the ground they walk on, but the God who created the feet they walk on the ground with. I think if I would have been one of the disciples, I would have been asking questions all the time. I can see it how, how it would start out, you know, walking along with Jesus, and I'd point to the sun, and I'd say, did you create that? Oh, yeah, I created it. And then I'm out with him at night and I see all the stars in the sky and I say, did you create that? And he goes, yeah, created those two. Trees, yep. Flowers, yep. Birds, yep. Wow. How'd you do that? I mean, what'd you do? Would you just, I mean, I, yeah. You know, like, what an opportunity. Three years, you know, to ask questions and, about creation. But seriously, what's the only thing they could do with this piece of information about Jesus? I mean, the only thing that makes sense, the only thing that's reasonable. See, I'm 100% convinced it's what Jeff said last Sunday. When you truly embrace who Jesus is, you follow him with all of your heart. You follow him wholeheartedly. You realize he's the God who's created you. You understand that every breath you have, he gives you that, those, that breath. I mean, what other response could we possibly have but to follow him wholeheartedly? What could possibly be greater or more important than the God who made you that would keep you from devoting your life to him? And when this really makes sense, it's when you understand that God's not simply your creator, but you understand that God's your loving creator. It's this truth that gives us every reason to trust him completely, 100% all of the time. You see, it gives us the confidence that we would never, will never regret following him. Never, ever, ever. See, Jesus not only knows what's best for us, <laughs> because he loves us. He wants the best for us. So the big word, everybody, the big word for today is trust. Trust. Trust God completely. Trust him completely. You know, Paul really was right on with the prayer that he prayed for the Christians in Ephesus. I'd like you to stand this morning. I'd like to pray that prayer for all of us today. All right? Would you stand with me? And then Rob and the worship team are going to come out and, and lead us in a closing song. And by the way, when they come out and lead us in that song and we're singing... 
Let's pretend we're at a football game, okay? Because our creator is better than any football player, any coach, any game, what he's done. So you know what? Let's just sing out. Don't worry about how good a singer you are. I mean, just give it all you got. All right? You with me? Huh? Okay, I'll, I'll be. All right. Amen. Listen, listen to this. This is his prayer. I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Oh, Father, we all come before you and we are so grateful to you for loving us. So grateful to you for keeping on loving us and loving us and loving us and that you love us forever. And so we worship you and we praise you. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.